So now that you know you have the mic to do it, have you considered ASMR and becoming an ASMR? You could do like hockey sounds or something and be like, man, watching the game, like <laughs> eating different snacks, nom, 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 you know? Shannon, I'm a Leafs fan. If it was Leaf fan ASMR, it would just be exasperated like sighs and grunts the entire time. <laughs> okay, I, I I would subscribe to that. that is- Hello, hello, and welcome to Skeleton Closet, a podcast at the intersection of queerness and horror. I'm Shannon. And I'm Jake. Welcome to the show, everybody. This week we are here to discuss uh, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. Um, Shannon, this one was your pick. Do you want to, you know, walk us through why we're talking about this movie today? So this is from 1998, so it is an old Scooby-Doo film. It is the... I believe it was their first direct-to-video movie, Um, and it had just as much advertising as, like, a movie going into theaters. So this was, like, a really popular Scooby-Doo, and the reason we're talking about it today is because of its fucking catchy music. Like, (laughs) the, the, the music is perfection. It is... Like, I genuinely get these songs stuck in my head, like, randomly, and I think I had, this, like, one of the songs stuck in my head and was like, you know what, Jake, we need to do this. And we had gotten the request from one of our longtime listeners, Lord Shen, to do, like, an animated horror movie, and I came up with the idea for this one just, like, minutes, mere, mere minutes <laughs> before he sent us, like, this well thought out like really beautifully crafted list of like 10 or so different like cartoon horror movies that we could watch so we're starting with this one we will get to some others i i swear thank you lord shen much appreciated but also like there was no scooby-doo on that list and you know we had mentioned (laughs) at like the beginning of this podcast that eh, jake and i were we're not horror snobs you know, we're we're looking for anything that's kooky, anything that's spooky, uh, and we talked about Scooby Doo. So, I thought, you know what, uh, let's let's do it. Let's let's just fucking do it. Yeah, I mean, I I was really happy that we were covering this. To be honest, like I I kind of it was one of those things where I had reservations only in that like okay, I guess this will be the one where we do Scooby Doo. We said we were gonna do it, so I guess I'll you know. I'll, I'll allow us to stick to that. Um, but it was actually like a really enjoyable experience. I'm really glad we did it. And I think like this is kind of as close to like maybe a quintessential Scooby-Doo movie as you can get. Um, like it being so it was like, I believe the first Scooby-Doo production that was not Hanna-Barbera anymore, where it was Warner Brothers. Um and so it's like, it actually kind of represents a turning point in the franchise. It's it's maybe one of the most quintessential Scooby-Doo products out there. Um, like mm-hmm. this, and then like, I don't know, the original cartoon back from like 1969, and then there was What's New Scooby-Doo. Um, and then I guess like the 2002 live action movie, these might be the most yeah. quintessential Scooby-Doo products. Um, but this was also... Like I said last week when we when we introduced this topic, I was like, oh, I've never seen this movie before, but I'm excited to. 
I realized at some point, like, oh, I'd seen parts of this for sure when I was a kid. I was, it, it was like, I didn't remember it per se, but as we went through it, I was like, oh, I've seen this part before. Like, I've seen, okay, I remember her, like, I remember Velma scraping off the wall to reveal the name of the old ship that the house was built out yeah. of. And I remembered Scooby-Doo's nose being scrunched up into an accordion when he was chasing the cats around. And just, like, certain images, I was like, oh, I actually do very viscerally remember this. When certain plot twists happened, I was like, right, that's how it went. So um, it was, like, a real trip down memory lane for me. And, and overall, like I said, as much as I was a little apprehensive to cover a kid's movie... This this movie fucking rocks. Like it it is unabashedly like without reservation. I say this movie rips. There is like actually like amazing, stunning animation. It is like it's hand drawn too. I believe it looks like it anyway. It's like I I think so. It, it's at very least like actually illustrated like frame by frame. It's not CGI or anything like that. So it's. It feels like maybe the the end of an era when it comes to animation. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, like some of, I mean, we'll talk about it later, like, but some of like the creature transformations and things that happen, I'm like, this is actually so cool. Like this is maybe the hardest Scooby-Doo has ever gone. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm excited to, to get into it. Um, yeah, do you, do you want to start us off with our summary of Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island? Oh, I would love to. Alright, so, on a dark and stormy night, the Scooby gang are in a castle being chased by the moat monster. It turns out to be the owner of the castle and he's been printing counterfeit money in the basement with his printing press. On television, Daphne is discussing the case and how the gang split up to pursue different careers. Daphne is a television journalist and Fred works as Daphne's one-man crew and producer. Shaggy and Scooby work as custom agents, and Velma is running a mystery bookstore. The gang went their separate ways because the monsters always turned out to be bad guys in masks. Daphne is starting a new segment about haunted America, and is intent on finding real haunted houses for her viewers. Before setting off for Louisiana for their first segment, uh, Fred surprises Daphne by getting the gang back together. Um, Mystery Inc. is reunited once again and start visiting supposedly haunted places. They hit up a mansion, an abandoned casino boat, and a factory, but all of the monsters are just dudes in costumes. Uh, The gang have yet to find a real haunting on their trip. While browsing a food market, however, they run into Lena Dupree, a cook who claims to work at a real haunted house. It's an estate on Moonscar Island, haunted by the ghost, uh, some say, of Morgan Moonscar, a pirate. Looking up the island, Velma discovers there have been numerous disappearances linked to Moonscar Island. On the ferry ride over to the island, we meet Jacques, the ferry boat driver, and Snakebite, a local fisherman. Snakebite has been trying to catch a, catch a catfish named Big Mona for years now. Throughout the movie, Shaggy and Scooby always scare away Big Mona and are always snarled at by Snakebite. On Moonscar Island is a plantation estate that is absolutely crawling with cats. There, we meet our final two characters, Bo, the mysterious gardener, and Simone Lenoir, the owner of the house. 
Soon after, while Shaggy and Scooby eat hot peppers in the kitchen, they encounter a cold spot and a ghost carving Get Out into the wall. Beware gets added as Daphne and Fred start filming, and they catch the ghost of Morgan Moon- Moonscar himself on tape. I'm having real trouble with Morgan Moonscar. Um, <laughs> Me too. A real pirate ghost. Fabulous, Daphne says, thrilled to have found a genuine ghost, but Fred still thinks it's a guy in a pirate costume. After all, there's always a logical explanation for these things. During a picnic gone awry, Shaggy and Scoob get chased into a large pit wherein lies the remains of the pirate Morgan Moonscar. Before their very (laughs) eyes, his bones animate as Moonscar becomes a zombie. He then chases the guys out of the holes and right into Bo. When they join up with the others, it's beginning to get dark outside. Since the ferry won't run at night, the gang decides to stay the night in the manor house. Bo, by the way, just constantly has the energy of, like, is not the bad guy, but is absolutely doing everything he can to seem as mysterious and, and as suspicious <laughs> as possible so that everyone thinks he's the bad guy. Um, he is the absolute red herring and is, like, constantly, like, mumbling and grumbling, like, flowers, blah, 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 gardening, blah, And just standing places, like, wielding his shovel like a weapon, just, like, trying to look as intimidating as possible at all times. Um, (laughs) while getting ready for dinner in their guest room, Shaggy and Scooby encounter their second ghost, a Civil War Confederate soldier reaching out from a standing mirror and telling them to get away. As it turns out, there were Confederate barracks on the island, and the mirror belonged to a colonel. We've now seen ghost pirates and ghost soldiers, so what's next? Dinner. While Fred, Daphne, and Velma eat inside... Shaggy and Scooby take their dinner to go and eat in the van. They drive out into the swamp, and they drive out also to get rid of the cats. They drive out (laughs) into the swamp for a peaceful place to eat their crawfish. However, the harvest moon brings the land to life, and zombies begin emerging from the ground. Shaggy attempts to drive away, but the van gets stuck in the mud. Now running from the zombies, Shaggy and Scooby run into Bo, yet again get scared, and flee in another direction. Meanwhile, the others are enjoying dessert inside, but they're interrupted by the guy's screams of terror. Uh, A chase scene ensues where Daphne and Fred split up uh, with Velma and Bo. Um, Daphne and Fred find a zombie and attempt to pull its mask off, only to discover it's real by, you know, (gasps) beheading it. Um, Finally, Fred (laughs) admits that this haunting is not fake. They find Shaggy and Scooby only to lose them again, and Fred drops his camera in quicksand, losing all proof of the haunting. Shaggy and Scooby end up in a cave where they find three wax dolls, which look like Fred, Velma, and Daphne. Um, When they play around with the voodoo dolls, their friends move and levitate in response. Their playing doesn't last long, as Shaggy and Scooby are soon chased out of the cave by bats. Back at the house... Fred, Daphne, Velma, and Bo gather after hearing Lena's screams. Lena claims that Simone was dragged through a secret tunnel under the main stairs by zombies. The group follow those footprints underground to a voodoo-looking chamber. There, Velma accuses Lena of lying because she saw Simone's footprints. Simone clearly walked to the underground chamber. She wasn't dragged. And Velma is right. Simone mm-hmm. and Lena are in on the plot together. <gasps> Legas! They pull out the wax voodoo dolls of the four and tie them up. 
it turns out that Simone will drain the life from her victims when the harvest moon reaches its highest point at midnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, Simone gives us a bit of exposition. She gives us a flashback. Simone and Lena were part of a group of settlers who lived on the island 200 years ago. When Moonstar and his uh, Moonscar rather and his pirates arrived, they chased the settlers into the swamp where alligators killed them. Simone and Lena were the only survivors and prayed to their cat god to curse the pirates. In return, they were cursed as well to become cat monsters. Uh, now, whenever the harvest moon rises, Simone and Lena must drain victims of their life to renew their immortality. The ferry boat driver is in on the curse as well, and he catches Scooby and Shaggy out at the docks. However, he gets overwhelmed by zombies, allowing the guys to escape. J- is So just hearing harvest moon said over and over did did you ever play that game like the farming game on game boy uh i never played that and it it didn't make me think of that what it actually made me think of was the restaurant in st jacobs ontario very close (gasps) to where you and i both grew up (laughs) Um, oh my god the harvest moon you're so right like yeah so so the harvest moon must be like a legit thing all right right. oh yeah it's like it's like a i don't know if it's a specific phase in the moon or if it's just like when the full moon coincides with something but anyway it's an astrological phenomena uh where the moon is like really big and bright and yellow and they call it that because farmers could like go out and harvest at the nighttime they weren't like limited to daylight they could go harvest by the moonlight as well uh when that came up so it's like a big boost of productivity around around the old farm Wow, what a time to, like, drain someone's life away. Yo, to, like, <laughs> go eat at the Harvest Moon after this. All right, so Shaggy and Scooby tumble into the cave again and cause enough distraction that Velma can undo the bindings on her voodoo doll. She helps the others escape and uses ripped-up pieces of Simone and Lena's clothing to make voodoo dolls of them. With these new dolls... Daphne and Velma are able to control Simone and Lena. The ferryman arrives too and joins uh, forces with Simone and Lena. And as the three of them advance on the gang, the harvest moon passes its peak and the time during which they had to refuel their life is now done. Simone, Lena, and the ferryman deteriorate and turn to dust before the gang's eyes. As it turns out, Bo is an undercover detective looking into the disappearances involving the island. He's unsure whether his superiors will believe his story or not, but he agrees to go on Daphne's show to discuss the island. Uh, He also wants to write detective novels in the future, which Velma is real excited about. Um, The adventure ends with the gang sailing off on the ferry back to the mainland. And that's the end of Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. Um, And yeah, like I said, I gotta say, like, the the a lot of the animation a lot of this movie is like very goofy there's so much that we didn't talk about because like half the movie's runtime is filled up with like oh scooby and shaggy are eating gags and like scooby's (laughs) stealing all the food from shaggy and they're eating hot peppers and their ears are spouting fire out of them and like it's a kid's movie right we're we're grading on a curve here um but like there's so much that didn't happen and for the first half of the movie i'm like okay this is like normal kids movie fair and then like when the when the cat girls come out to play <laughs> i'm gonna only refer to them as cat girls by the way um when uh when the cat girls are revealed and like they have these transformations into their like were cat version of themselves it is like genuinely horrifying like this is 
This is actually the first movie we've covered where it's not listed as horror on, like, IMDb and, like, the general websites and stuff. But, like, for a kid's movie, it has some, like, genuinely, like, pretty scary moments. Yeah, it really does. Like, there's there's tons of gags in it, but they always have these moments where the gang is about to be, like, become prey to a monster, and... All I can think while, like, watching those moments where, like, you know, Shaggy and Scooby are, like, being slashed at by Morgan Moonstar with his, like, sword (laughs) is, like, holy fuck. Like, these guys really are, like, just living a, like, terrifying life of, like, being used as live bait by their friends (laughs) all the time. And, like, what? Like, there is quite a bit of horror and, like what i what i really liked about the cat girls is that like they didn't try to make them pretty like yeah we do when it goes for like a monster like it will make them ugly like these are uh-huh. not aesthetic cat girls no no like they're they're pretty terrifying yeah no i said cat girls to be funny but like yeah they're they're definitely like i i was actually a bit like pleasantly surprised that they didn't make them like yeah sexy little kitten cat girls <laughs> like i don't know <laughs> i guess i just like wasn't giving scooby-doo and warner brothers enough credit um but i almost feel like that is what i expected to come out of this <laughs> um yeah. and no they're like they're like more comparable to like werewolves but in but cat based instead of dog based yeah and like i I do love how they just kind of skim over the fact they're like, oh, yeah, they prayed to a cat god, sure. Like, these settlers, we don't know from where, but, you know, they're settling, maybe they're French. <laughs> we're, we're not sure, but all I know is we've got, we've got, what, we're talking about settlers, we're talking about a plantation, we have settlers living on a plantation that mm. also was used as, like, Confederate soldiers' barracks and has, like an escape tunnel to hide from, you know, the union and like the house is made out of pirate ship wood. Yeah. I mean, this movie's set on a plantation, but it, it doesn't really explore a lot of the historical topics that it brings into the fold. Um, like, you know, th- just the fact that it's set on a plantation, you'd think there'd be some mention of slavery. There's not um, colonialism with, with these people being settlers, paganism with them worshipping a cat god. Again, I understand that it's a kid's movie. They're not going to um, like explore like the deep-rooted American tradition of racism and how the economy was based on racism back then. They might not explore that in depth, but it, it, like given our current sort of social climate and like the historical context it almost felt weird to me there there were certain things that seemed tone deaf when like the civil war ghost at the end is liberated and is like thank you and and (laughs) talking about how their home had a tunnel where people could hide from union soldiers it it felt very war of northern aggression to me i don't know yeah i i i i think it's actually one of the things i love about scooby-doo is they're like it's so callous with the references they make where they're just like, yeah, we're going to reference this stuff, but we don't really give a shit about it. We're like, it's totally like it. it, Scooby-Doo is weirdly self-reflexive. Like it knows what it is. And that's why like, we keep getting these, like, you know, the jokes, especially between Shaggy and Scooby of like, Oh no, like, where are you Scooby-Doo? And like, scooby constantly eating shaggy's food right out from under his nose you know like the dog getting the best of the owner but Mm -hmm. we get these 
very, very callous references to, like, colonization and especially to the plantation. Like, this is not the first time that Scooby-Doo references plantations and Civil War. Um, we get that in, like, Scooby-Doo and the Boo Brothers, which I think is, like, a Scooby-Doo movie from, like, the early, like, from the 80s. And there is no diving into this. Like, they they literally don't give a shit. Like, I think um, the that that's, like, reflective of the era that the movie was made in, right? Where this is an American company, an American production, even though most of the animation was done in Japan. It's an American production. Hmm. And, like, clearly there must have been some, like, conservative people on, like, the board of Scooby-Doo, you know, who are talking about what to put in it and i don't know i maybe i should have looked up a little bit more about like the writer and the director we have jim stenstrom as our director and glenn leopold uh for the writer so maybe they had a bit more uh conservative of a lean than perhaps we do today Well, and, you know, on that note, I was actually kind of surprised, like, I looked into, like, the reception that this movie got, and if there if there was yeah. any controversy around it at the time, and there was not, and I wasn't looking for controversy along, like, the Confederate things. I was surprised that, like, like Christian suburbanites wouldn't be up in arms about the cat god thing. Like, I sincerely, because, yeah. like, we all remember how, like, Harry Potter when we were young, like, I know I grew up with kids who were like, we're not allowed to read Harry Potter because of, like, witchcraft. And, and like pay, like that's um that's unholy like kids you and i went to school with um uh, yeah like that. we're like obsessed with star wars but we're never allowed harry potter like that just crossed a line the word witchcraft like so <laughs> that being said i'm rather surprised that i didn't see anything online about like conserve concerned moms united takes up arms against pagan scooby-doo movie like it i maybe it's just a different time maybe people weren't so like uh activist about things back then when it comes to like the messages in kids media maybe things were just allowed to be fun back then and the controversy didn't start till later or or, i don't know maybe that's just kind of looking back through rose-colored glasses It, it could also be that this was direct to video and didn't receive nearly as much marketing as a harry potter or something like that fair it might also be that like the cat worshippers were the bad guys. So, like, they do Mm. get their, you know, comeuppance. And Lena and Simone are very interesting characters because they are bad guys. But when we learn about their story in the flashback, they don't start off as bad guys. I mean, they're colonizers, so they're, they're, you know, (laughs) kind of bad guys. But, but, uh, you know, if if we look at their situation, they were just this group of settlers, you know, who were worshiping their native god and they were literally like in in the movie having like a dinner or a feast and like a bonfire and they were dancing and stuff and having a good time and suddenly these pirates show up and like drive them out of their land into the swamps to die and it's it's interesting that they become our bad guys you know um because originally they're victims and, you know, mm-hmm. Simone and Lena are the only surviving victims and they become monsters out of necessity. You know, they're not the usual monsters that we're dealing with in Scooby-Doo, which are like bad guys wearing masks. And those bad guys are always motivated by greed. 
right? They're mm. either like, and and that's what the gang thinks it, they're gonna find on the island. Like they think they're gonna find people who are, you know, trying to find Morgan Moonstar's treasure, or maybe there's oil under the island that they're trying to dig up and scare people away from, so they can have like an oil mining operation or whatever. But what we get instead are victims who became monsters out of necessity, you know, to, uh, I guess not necessity, out of revenge, and ended up cursed because they tried to curse someone else. And then to stay alive, they become these monsters who prey on victims, much like how the pirates preyed upon them, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, at least we get this twist that, like, you know, Simone and Lena are preying on kind of unlikable characters, you know, pirates, plantation owners, soldiers, and tourists, because fuck <laughs> tourists, right? Yeah, they're the same thing. They're the same thing as pirates and confederates. They're <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. we we get this, like, film, you know, the whole point of this film is for the Scooby gang to encounter real supernatural phenomena, and it's kind of funny that, you know, they're expecting, like, the ghosts to be evil and like driving people away from things you know to protect some sort of treasure but instead what we get when the ghosts show up is they're trying to drive people away but it's to protect those people from the curse on this island right so you know when you first watch through the movie and you see get out get carved on the wall you're like oh no spooky like telling them to get out you know because they want to scare them away but instead, we get the mess. Uh, yeah, exactly. But in instead, we get the get out um, as like trying to protect people, uh, much more like the um, Jordan Peele movie Get Out, right? Where it's mm. like get out of here, you know, before they get you. Yeah, before it's too late. Before it's too late. Yeah. So you know, we would expect the zombies to be the villains, and like the zombies, it's literally in the title, you know, Scooby Doo yeah. on Zombie Island. But they're actually allies. And I kind of love that, you know, uh, turning turning things on its head where our zombies are like good guys and actually help the gang out. <laughs> yeah, there's a point where like Scooby and Shaggy are basically like they literally fall into the arms of a zombie and he just like is totally disinterested in them. He just kind of is like, and, like throws them away. He like does <laughs> like the zombies we find out are there to actually get their revenge on the cat girls um not to not to bother the you know the gang um i I think it's an interesting sort of turning on its head of because the whole thing is very self-referential right like the Mm -hmm. the movie is aware of all of the scooby-doo content that's come before it and again it's a whole punchline of it's always a dude in a mask it's always a dude in a mask they have a whole song dedicated to it um you know they they show up to a place they find a monster they trap it they take off its mask it's a dude motivated by greed uh this movie kind of takes that and flips it on its head because they find normal people when they come to this island and then they are essentially unmasked and revealed to actually be monsters um the whole time which is like the direct reverse of how it normally happens and then the monsters that they originally found when they got there also turn out to be monsters but they're not they're not really so bad um, except that they were back in their normal lives. Cause again, they were murdering pirates and slavers essentially. Um, so, yeah. but we don't explore that. So it's fine. Yeah, Moonscar is very interesting. He's like a very morally ambiguous character. 
Um, he is. As, the, as an undead person, he's kind of a good guy, but in his living life, he was very much a bad person. Yeah, and I, I actually really love Moonscar because, like, he just kind of, like, shows up as, like, he shows up as a ghost. He shows up as a zombie. Like, his body almost got, like, dug up by the cop, you know? Also, yeah. yeah. So we're talking about bad guys here, but you know, there's there's another bad guy, and we have Bo, who is our undercover <laughs> police detective, and like he's been there for months. He's been like clearly canvassing the area, trying to dig up like you know the buried bodies. But it's kind of ironic because like when you're in a swamp area, you just fucking like toss the corpses into the swamp, and they get like interred that way. Yeah, but like it's. It's interesting because, like, we've we've got all the pieces of a great, like, detective mystery thing going on here. You know, we've got the gang who are professional snitches. We've got a cop who's undercover. <laughs> and... Sorry, the gang are professional snitches. That's exactly <laughs> what they are. They're not cops. They're not detectives. Yeah. They just go around snitching I... on people. <laughs> right? I, I fucking saw that on a... It must have been like a Pinterest post or a Tumblr post okay. or something where it's like, or someone had tweeted it where they're like, you know, I like the Scooby gang, like they're, they're not cops, but like, they're pretty close. Like they're, they always be snitching on these bitches. So I don't know if I trust them. And it's like, honestly, that's, that's legit. Like usually though, I usually, I think the Scooby gang like, I wouldn't associate them as, like, bad snitches. Like, I think they're good snitches because usually yeah. they're, like, rooting out corruption and white-collar crime as opposed to, like, blue-collar crime, you know? Like, they're 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 getting at the people who are just, like, trying to hide their money and, like, keep others from getting it. Like, this is, like, almost always it's a man in a mask motivated by greed. And I think this... Scooby-Doo movie is like possibly the first, you know, mystery where we get an explanation that isn't rooted in money and greed. Like this is this is about survival, right? I I would argue that their desire to live forever is sort of greedy, like Okay, yeah. Yeah, fair. Like cuz that's that's what I you know, I don't think anyone faults them for turning into cat girls to get revenge on the pirates who killed their families and friends and whatever. But beyond that, they start like luring people back to the island to sap them of their life force and uh, become immortal cat girls, which I don't think is, I think that's greedy. And then they get the boat driver in on it too. They like somehow tr transform him into a yeah. cat girl as well so that he can be immortal with them. Um, I, th I think that's all pretty greedy. So I would, I would argue that they are, they were at one point righteous, and then at some mm. point, immortality got the better of them, and they became greedy scumbags. Um, but I do agree with you that it generally, the Scooby Doo gang is on the side of like they're good snitches. They are like, yeah. Look at look at Scooby and Shaggy. These are anti capitalists. These are people who oh, do not. Up. They are anti labor. They <laughs> or sorry, anti work. I should say pro labor, anti work. Um, they are people who. <laughs> want to bring down the establishment and those who would profit off of the fear of the proletariat. Yeah. <laughs> and that's been your weekly dose of socialism on, <laughs> <laughs> on Skeleton Closet. Well, like, we, we've always got to talk about that, but here especially because, like, 
uh, Shaggy and Scooby, they're working for the government, right? You know, they're working mm-hmm. as Border Patrol. You know, Scooby is the best dog at sniffing out that contraband food, right? And <laughs> they literally get fired at the beginning of the movie because, like, they ate all the contraband food. And they're just, like, they barely give a fuck. Like, they cry for literally two seconds then the phone rings. And they're like, oh, yeah. yeah, like they 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 just they don't care about being fired. They're like, oh no, we're unemployed again. Well, Scoob, something else will come along. And like something does. You know, they get the call up from Fred of like, hey, we're getting the gang back together. And they're like, perfect. We were just thinking of taking some vacation time. Like, so cavalier about getting fired. They just do not give a shit about working. I think, like, Shaggy and Scooby, man, like, the only reason they need to work is so that they can have money to buy weed and buy food. Like, that's it. And, I mean, on the topic of the character of Shaggy and Scooby, like, you mentioned earlier that they're kind of just made to be, like, human bait for, or I guess human and dog bait for the creatures at all times. Like, and this is them throughout scooby-doo products in general like they Mm -hmm. are the bait they they stumble into situations anytime the gang splits up and search for searches for clues they are always the ones who get found and then like chased away and it's all by accident but part of me has to has to start thinking that you know the gang is like deliberately in on it i don't know oh they totally are like what fred is the leader daphne Uh is the damsel in distress who also knows karate Velma is of the brains of the operation, and Shaggy and Scooby are the bait. Like, straight mm-hmm. up, they've always just been the bait because, like, they're scaredy cats. Like, I don't, I still don't understand why they hang out with these guys. Like, <laughs> they're not very nice to them. <laughs> they're really not. Like, but it ends up with, like, the mystery ink is like nothing without Shaggy and Scooby because they're the ones who always like happen to trip up the monster or trap them. Like it's all by accident most of the time, but they're the reason that the gang succeeds. I do believe that's one of the major plot points of Scooby-Doo 2 Monsters Unleashed, the second of the live action Scooby-Doo movies. Yes. Um, that they feel underappreciated and like they're just being used for bait all the time, which honestly like a very valid concern. Um, I also, you know what I noticed was missing from this? Because again, Scooby-Doo stuff is all about being self-referential and like using bits from earlier Scooby-Doo products. They did Mm. not have a, would you do it for a Scooby snack scene? All they had was like, they ate stale Scooby snacks at the beginning. Um, which I felt, that made me sad. Why did they have to include that the Scooby snacks were stale and that they didn't like them? They didn't enjoy a single Scooby snack in this whole movie. They just, they ate the stale ones that they didn't like. But they continue to eat them as they will do. But yeah, there was not a scene where they, the gang decides that something needs to happen, and then those dudes are like, "We're not doing it." And then Velma's like, "Would you do it for a Scooby snack?" And then and then they do it. Um, that didn't happen in this movie, and I'm very disappointed. That makes this a terrible Scooby Doo movie, actually. <laughs> wow. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't set a trap. They didn't bribe them with food. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess Shaggy and Scooby did get bribed with food, like, with crawfish and stuff. And actually, so, about the crawfish, like, Shaggy's original voice actor, um, mm. who they wanted to use for the movie, 
went vegetarian and he refused to voice Shaggy unless Shaggy also went vegetarian and like stopped eating meat. And he was going to voice him for this movie, except that the scene of Shaggy eating crawfish had already been animated. So he was like, nope, I refuse. So that's why he ended up being voiced by Billy West instead. And like, like, like Shaggy and Scooby, like the point of them is they are the ultimate omnivores. Like, they mm-hmm. will eat anything, and that's, like, a very important part of their character. And I I, 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 I fucking love the one comment, like, Shaggy makes. He's like, like, being in a state of constant terror makes us constantly hungry. And that's just beautiful. It's absolutely on the nose. It's also, like, very funny to me to just picture a vegetarian Shaggy. Like, I can't, like, <laughs> he's just wolfing down chickpeas and spinach and, like, Kale, I I can't I can't picture it. I don't know, but he probably would I'm, eat wolf down that stuff anyway. He kind of they kind of eat everything, so I guess that's not so outlandish. Like a vegetarian Shaggy is a lesbian Shaggy. Like that, <gasps> that's the only way I can picture it. Like you're saying chickpeas and like spinach and stuff, and I'm like, okay, that's if Shaggy were a lesbian, then mm. maybe he could be a vegetarian. Maybe. Now is this Shaggy like as? Like a trans woman lesbian or like a he him lesbian? Like I'm think I'm thinking a he him lesbian. Like Shaggy <laughs> okay. has always been like mask. You know he's got his. He basically looks like me right now, except like short <laughs> hair. But like he always has his like chin stubble and like you know. Oh, oh my god, the fucking moment when he was getting ready for dinner. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, Scoob, I, uh, should I change for dinner? You know, get cleaned up, opens his suitcase, and it's got, like, six of the same green shirt he's already wearing, changes into a fresh green shirt that he's already wearing, and it's like, now I'm, I'm, now I'm ready for dinner. I'm gonna be, like, turning heads. I look fine <laughs> for dinner. Like, that... I, I think Shaggy would definitely make a good he-him lesbian. I, I, and he also, I like... He also, like, tr- he was like, oh, I need a trim. I-, I look terrible. And then he, like, trimmed his beard stubble, and it looks exactly the same. And he's like, that's much better. You know what that scene genuinely reminded me of was Killer Unicorn, what? when our protagonist oh. was like, oh, we are going to the show tonight, and I'm going in a look. And then he's wearing the exact same thing. He's wearing, like, the exact same, like, ratty old backwards snapback that he's wearing throughout the rest of the movie. <laughs> exactly. Oh, God. We were talking about themes earlier when it comes to, like, whether or not they think that anything supernatural is actually happening, right? And and Fred is sort of a skeptic throughout a lot of the movie until the beheading of the zombie that they captured, I believe. And and that's sort of the point that turns him, right? And and Velma says to Fred, you're not a skeptic, you're in denial. Um, You know, we mentioned it. There's always a rational explanation. It usually has something to do with greed. To me, I went into this movie and I was kind of thinking like, okay, so the plot of this is going to be about like skepticism and faith. And at what point do we believe empirical knowledge in front of our eyes versus what we think must be the truth and things like that. And I noticed that we kind of never arrive there. (laughs) Like Velma saying to Fred, you're not a skeptic, you're in denial is kind of the closest that we get. Um, And I, I wanted to talk about like this being a kid's movie at its heart, right? Like we... We mentioned earlier, like, the movie does not necessarily have time to delve into these themes, whether it's skepticism Mm -hmm. and faith and the supernatural, whether it is plantations and slavery and piracy and paganism and whatnot. It sort of introduces a lot of concepts and then never really explores them to an extent. And that's where I was saying, 
it being a kid's movie, I kind of felt the need to grade this movie on a curve, right? Um, yeah. Where, where lesser movies, i.e. movies for adults, would be sort of building <laughs> upon themes and adding depth to characters and narrative threads. Scooby-Doo's mandate is to bring fun for the whole family. So, so that time is filled mm-hmm. with sandwich gags, hot pepper gags, um, pissing off the local fishermen, things like that. Um, it, I don't know. I found it interesting. Like it, it, again, it being a kid's movie, I, I would feel like an asshole if we just took a full critical analysis to this, right? We're like, well, yeah, this movie did not <laughs> like, uh, have, have a real take on, on, uh, the slave economy of the 1700s, which like, why would we expect that from Scooby-Doo? It's kind of like, what, yeah. what was that meme going around this week? Like Hello Kitty didn't center indigenous voices or something like that. Or it was the Minions <laughs> movie didn't se- fail to center indigenous voices. Not every ah. movie for kids can do all things, right? Like I, I think it's yeah. a little tough to expect that from kids movies. So again, we do need to sort of grade it on a curve, but I found that there was also a lot to enjoy about that. Like I, maybe this is why it doesn't count as a horror movie to all these tags, but at no point am I in like genuine mortal fear for the characters lives. Right. Like, yeah, there's a scene where Scooby and Shaggy are running away from some zombies and they're kind of backed up. And then like a hand taps them on the shoulder and they turn around and it's more zombies and they're like, ah, and they run away. That's the whole point of Scooby-Doo, right? Like a lesser movie, again, a movie for adults would have to like put in a jump scare and kill off a minor character, perhaps scrappy. Um, in order to achieve oh, that same plot, plot point. Yeah. <laughs> this is, by the way, the first uh, Scooby-Doo product that featured the entire gang without Scrappy-Doo since, like, 1982 or something like that. So it was, like, it was a long time coming for that little freak. <laughs> um, yeah. We, we do not love Scrappy. Scrappy can just stay in the scrap pile. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I don't know. That was all. I, I feel like... I just wanted to put in that caveat because I don't want us to go through an hour of just like ripping on a kid's movie for not having like correct takes on things. Cause I know we're sort of circling back to a point that we semi addressed earlier, but it just feels like we would just be total assholes if we were expecting Scooby-Doo to like really dive, get deep into the weeds on all these different themes. Um, although they could have yeah. done something more interesting with the skepticism thing. I don't know. Yeah. Cause I, I think the skepticism is pretty interesting because like Fred, like Fred is the ultimate skeptic in this and Daphne is the ultimate believer. And I think, I think they like do touch on that where, um, like Fred literally sees a ghost in person, sees Velma, like literally levitating, you know, with (laughs) like nothing behind it. And every single time he starts explaining it away as like, Oh, it's magnets or wires or, Oh, there's a reflection you know, even catches a ghost on film and, like, enhances the picture, you know, in a <laughs> super high-tech way, you know, by increasing the contrast and darkness uh, of the film. And, like, literally sees the ghost and is like, oh, no, it's 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 gotta be some guy in a suit. And it literally isn't until he beheads a zombie that, <laughs> you know... But even then, he's still saying, oh... It could be animatronic. Like this could still, it could be a robot or something. And yeah. I, like, I, I think Fred and Daphne, because like Daphne believes it from the onset. She like hears about this haunted house and it's a real haunted house, and she's like, oh, totally, you know. Still kind of like goes along with Fred, but those two make a nice contrast to each other, you mm-hmm. know. And like, I don't know, Jake, what 
like, how, how much of a skeptic are you on a scale from Daphne to Fred? Oh, that's interesting. I, you know what? I think I really relate to Daphne's motivations in this movie in that mm-hmm. she is not saying that, like, maybe real hauntings exist or don't exist. Like, throughout, I would say, like, the, the beginning, like, three quarters of this movie, right? She is simply saying, we have seen so many scams. I really want to see a real haunting, so let's go try to find one. Fred the whole time is like, hauntings aren't real. That's not happening. I like her curiosity. I like that, that curious spirit that is like, I want to find out. She's not saying hauntings are real. She's not saying they're not real. She's saying, I would like to find a real one, and I will try to do so. Um, so that's, I. you know what? I think that's like the beauty of the agnostic spirit. Let's find out. Yeah. Let's not presume that we know all things. Because either way, like... This is a thing here. Here's somewhere I didn't expect us to go on this ep- on the Scooby Doo episode. <laughs> it, like if you're if you have an atheist perspective on things, that is just as much a faith statement as someone who is like hardcore religious, right? Both in yeah. either case, you are saying like I absolutely one hundred percent know the ethereal reality of the universe and and spirituality and consciousness. I know all of the secrets of consciousness, and here's what it is. Whereas the agnostic is sort of just like searching for, for meaning and truth, you know? So I relate to Daphne in that sense. How about you? Wow. So we have Daphne is agnostic and Correct. Fred is atheist. <laughs> yeah. And Shaggy is Roman Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's about right. Does that make uh, Velma a Scientologist? Uh, I- that's right. Yeah. Okay, excellent, excellent. And Scooby and... is Mormon. Yes. Oh god. <laughs> I I love that. No, I I think I'm in a a pretty similar place actually along like very much an agnostic kind of point of view on it of like you know what? Uh like I'm I'm a little different from Daphne though. I she's very like obsessed with getting these things recorded, getting it on film, getting it on camera and like very much laments when Fred's camera gets swallowed up by quicksand. She's like, Oh, there goes all our proof. Um, right. I think I'm a, like a bit of an oddity in the fact that like, I, I don't really care about proof. Um, mm. cause I have, I have left behind the scientific method. I like, don't give a shit about that process anymore. I mm. go with my very like, sociology like symbolic interactionist perspective of like uh you know it's all about the process um so like it's all about the experience and i don't need the experience to be recorded um i don't need you know this kind of like hard evidence of things existing in order to believe or you know I believe more in my own experience than I believe in hard evidence because mm. evidence is just like an item, right? You know, it, it's the stories that matter. So, you know, if, if I were Daphne in this experience, you know, I wouldn't really care about the film and footage being destroyed. You know, I actually think that we, uh, I, I was, I was watching this YouTube video once of these like ghost hunters and they, they were using this like fucking, um, uh, it must, it, it was like a sound device or something and it like beeped or whatever and make noises if there was like a ghost nearby. And right. there's these like 
four like teenagers or whatever like in in a, a haunted room and the one girl she's like oh there's a little boy and he's under he's hiding under the bed and they're like reaching this beeping device at like the ghost boy and it's like beeping crazily and she's like describing what this boy is doing she's like oh he's hiding even more oh he's getting further back blah 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 and i'm like I'm like, yeah, no fucking, like, of course he's getting further back and hiding you, like, from you guys. You're pointing a beeping thing at him, like, <laughs> but, but they have to use the beeper to, like, get that, like, quote-unquote hard proof that there's a ghost there. And I'm like, no, fuck it, like, get rid of your, like, instruments, who cares about those? Like, just use this medium chick to, like, interact hmm. with the kid, because clearly she's experiencing that there's a spirit there. You don't really need, like, a spirit thermometer or whatever to, like, tell you there's a ghost there. Like, trust her words. Trust her experience. Like, fuck the scientific shit because, like, clearly it's just scaring the, the ghosts. And, like, that defeats the whole purpose. Like, here, here's my rant. That's that's it. Screw well, your, like, technology. It's well, let's be real. That, that technology it. is not scientific shit. That's just a beeping thing that they've that they've made for a YTV show yeah. about ghost hunters. It's, I I think <laughs> it, also it was like YouTube. that. Oh, it was YouTube? Okay, yeah. I I was thinking yeah. about like there was there was a YTV show when we were kids that was like a ghost hunter show that was like so. Cl- I yeah. remember watching that and being like. You know, a kid who was, like, not... I think I was a little too old to be swayed by these YTV ghost hunter shows where they've got, like, these props and stuff. But I remember one time noticing that a prop that they had was quite literally a toy that I owned. Like, I had the exact same thing at home. And they were like, oh, this is our Ghost Detector 9000. And it was, like, some, I don't know, like, flashlight, like, McDonald's toy equivalent thing that I was like, okay, people, I see what you have. Um, I think like the second you start getting into like, oh, we, we, you know, need proof of every, uh, spiritual experience that we have, you start getting grifters, right? That's when you start getting people making YouTube videos of like, oh, we totally went to this place and we totally saw a real actual ghost for real. 9,000% true at 3am. Um, the closer you get to that stuff, you know, any, anyone who's interested in that stuff is willing to suspend their belief maybe at least a little bit and then that's when you mm-hmm. maybe open the door for scammers and and people who are like trying to prey on gullible people so it like yeah maybe yeah. maybe the real maybe maybe the the type of life to be living you know because we on this podcast we're always set out to like decide the way that you should be living and the correct way to live your life and, and believe things um we are the arbiters of of the correct way of life as we all know <laughs> Maybe the real way is just to seek out experiences for yourself that can't be like proven and monetized and things, right? Like it's it's all yeah. The world is all according to you and and the people around you. Um, I think I would be more inclined to like go visit a place like we talked about when we were doing the haunting episode. Like, would you stay in a mansion overnight? I think I would be more inclined mm-hmm. to do that and like stay by not by myself, but like with a close group of people rather than like bring along instruments to try to measure. Um, ghost activity (laughs) yeah i i think that actually gets us into an interesting topic which is dark tourism um where you know it kind of like we we have our dark tourists here like quite literally the scooby gang are a group of dark tourists um they are visiting sites uh, where terrible things have happened right where people have died people have gone missing and you know doing that like 
for them, they're solving mysteries, but for dark tourists, it's for the interest. And, you know, like, uh, you point out here in the notes, we've got Snakebite Scruggs, you know, mm -hmm. who is vo voiced by Mark Hamill, so by Luke Skywalker himself. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's vexed by the presence of tourists in his swamp, you know, so we have a local who is disturbed by these dark tourists that are coming, and it kind of questions, like, is is it ethical for us to visit places of death just for the thrill of it all, you know, to stay in those haunted houses and you know, like to try and experience uh, a haunting? Like, is, is that ethical? I think it depends on the context of where it is, right? If you're talking about staying in a mm. Scottish castle where no one's lived since the 1500s or whatever, and it's been a tourist destination since then, then maybe I don't yeah. see the harm in it. Whereas, there are places that will, um, you know, sort of like sensationalize recent deaths of like like serial killer victims mm -hmm. and stuff. Because there's a real true crime fan community that I think has, like, to be honest, a disturbing level of like reverence for serial killers and stuff. And maybe they yeah. want. What's the, there's like that big hotel in New York that's got like so much uh, rumors around it that there's there's like a netflix documentary about it i can't remember the name of it but oh. that stuff i find a little bit gross where it's like these people are like they just died like within years or decades of and you know like they still have family around i find that a little bit gross if it's like an ancient yeah. place uh you know like i said like a castle that's hasn't really seen any kind of like you know violence or people even living there for a few hundred years then that's another thing I also think like people yeah. do weird stuff to like native burial grounds and stuff too in search of dark tourism, which is like no good. So I think it depends. Yeah. I think it, I think it depends on a few different things, like what your motivations are, the amount of respect you have for the dead um, and how much time has passed and whether or not you have like a violent colonial relationship with the ancestors of these people. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. When, when I think of it, I think like, um, like, what is the purpose, right, of mm -hmm. you going there? Like, as you said, like, what are your intentions? But I also think about, like, who benefits um, from, mm. like, this tourism, right? Are the locals of that area who, like, you know, who are actually involved in, like, whatever happened in, in that place, like, are they benefiting from this? Um, so, like, are you paying the tourists or are you, or, sorry, are you paying the locals or... Right are these tourists just disturbing people like Snakebite, right? And, you know, kind of hurting his livelihood. Um, but then we also get other dark tourism, like um, uh, touring sites from the Holocaust. Um, and mm. like, you know, are people learning from this and coming in with good intentions? And, you know, is this a, an important point in history that we can learn from? Or are they, uh, you know, day Instagram bloggers going oh my god, I just went to, like, the Holocaust Museum and, like, posing in there or whatever, or going to, like... Yeah, I guess, I guess it, it is what you said, like, how much respect um, are they having for these spaces, you know? Um, but I think I think it could be, like, dark. some dark tourism is definitely unethical, um, where, you know, they're just, like, you know, people go in, they stir up shit, and then they leave, um, but there definitely is some ethical dark tourism, especially when it, 
you know, you enter into that tourism with an attitude of learning, um, respect for the space and respect for uh, the people who were affected by it and where you're giving to the community that has suffered because of the darkness that happened there. Mm-hmm. There is a, like you were mentioning, like people going to Holocaust memorials and taking inappropriate selfies. And I had to, it was bothering me. So I had to look it up. Um, Danny Green, a basketball player who used to play for our Toronto Raptors. He Mm -hmm. visited the Holocaust Memorial in Berlin uh, back in 2014. And he posted a picture of himself and his caption was, you know, I had to do it one time, LOL, hashtag Holocaust, which like, that speaks to an inappropriate use of dark tourism, right? Like, I think yeah. some sometimes we're just not equipped to wield social media with respect and should probably put down our phones for a little bit. Um, but I agree, yeah. It depends on really the context and, and how how you intend to use your time there and and all of that. And, and like you said, who's benefiting from it? Is it the rightful custodians of this history and, and of like the legacy of, of the people that you're talking to, or is it people who are profiting mm-hmm. off of the sensationalism of, of death and, you know, that yeah, unites I us all. Like grifter versus custodian. Like those yeah. are, those are very interesting things, especially about a- who would be like leading these tours. Exactly. And it, like, I don't know, maybe it's a hard line to walk sometimes, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a set of guidelines, like you'd have to, I think, review each individual case. I don't know if there's a line that takes you from grifter to custodian or something like that, you know, but I think there's some like very clear cases of one or the other. Those YTV kids, ghost hunter shows and YouTube 3am trends are definitely more on the grifter side of things. Whereas a yeah. place that's like an actual respectful memorial, um, like even war memorials we have around here, right? Like there's, a, yeah. for people who don't know in Canada, like war memorials in the last year have been like heavily politicized and people have had demonstrations on them that are like the anti-vax movement tried to like own like remembrance. And do you know this story? Like with the, with the really? um, convoy no. in Ottawa. Okay. So for anyone who doesn't know, quick recap, there was a, group of anti-vaxxers who called themselves the freedom convoy they like put up a huge blockade in ottawa uh, our nation's capital like back in january i believe um uh-huh. and they were like dancing on the tomb of the unknown soldier and like pissing on the war memorial and stuff and then they tried to claim that they were like the real patriots and when the government put fences around it they were politicizing the war memorial and like doing a bad thing yeah so anyway just the moral of this segment is just that some people are delusional i don't know that (laughs) yeah some people are delusional which (laughs) transitions us to talking about the delusional straightness that we see (laughs) in this movie which is fred flirting with lena and swooning over her Daphne flirting with Bo and then Fred teasing Daphne about flirting with Bo and Daphne teasing Fred about flirting with Lena. They are so straight. It almost hurts. I don't believe that they're actually like confirmed dating within this movie. Right? Like I know. So this is actually the very first Scooby-Doo production that alludes to a romantic relationship between Fred and Daphne, um, which like in later productions, they're like a confirmed couple. Um, but in this one, there's just sort of like, they're jealous over each other flirting with, um, Lena and Bo respectively. And then at the end, they're like standing 
near the water at the sunset and Daphne's like, it's so romantic and like kind of leans on him. But like, that's all we get. So I don't know if, if they're confirmed dating or if they're just like slow, if they've just been on like a 50 year slow burn and like pining over each other at this point, or I guess it's 30 years. Ooh, at yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A good 30 year courtship. Like <laughs> beautiful. Who, who, who says no? Um, yeah, they're, they're a fairly straight couple. Like it's, it's one of those like wild, almost like weaponized uh jealousy bits <laughs> i don't know yeah and like i so i know i see like scooby-doo in general like the brand and like our group of characters right they're like a found family i hmm. i find them to be quite a queer symbol which is why i like you know, included this movie in our queer horror podcast, even though this movie is not queer and it's not horror, but it belongs somehow. <laughs> I do. During last week's episode, when we introduced this movie, by the way, you said like, oh, this movie is absolutely queer. Don't let anyone tell you it's not. So I am very <laughs> interested to hear you explain why this movie is queer, in fact. <laughs> so here's me completely contradicting myself. Like, this... <laughs> I, I do think it's queer, um, like, even though we have this kind of, like, straight romantics between Fred and Daphne, we also get it between um, Velma and Bo at the end, where she's like, oh, I like a good detective novel. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, what I do think is quite queer about it is the found family aspect. So we get the found family with um, Fred, uh, Velma, Daphne, Shaggy, and Scooby, right? They are this group that bands together and stays mm -hmm. together. They're a lot closer than just friends are, right? They do everything together. They work together. They, um, in different points in the Scooby-Doo franchise, they live together, right? And we never mm -hmm. really see them much with their families, but if we do it's a very like disconnected relationship with their blood family. Mm. Um, and we also get found family on the side of Alina and Simone. Um, Lena and Simone both give off like huge, like lesbian bicep, like Simone gives off really big lesbian vibes. And mm -hmm. Lena gives off like the most chaotic bisexual vibes mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. Like her and her little like crisscrossy top and woo, gay. <laughs> but I like I think the queerness that we get here is mostly like found family because um, we see the kind of victimization and then banning together. So I, I found family is definitely the queer point for this, but also because like Scooby-Doo, we have our gayness, like we know Velma is queer, like Hundo P, we get that when she and Hot Dog Water are like a thing later on in the franchise. What? Hot dog, Hot dog water? water? What is happening? <laughs> so there's a literal character named Hot Dog Water. I'm and this. yeah, she and Velma like have a, a some sort of relationship together, like in one of the like TV episodes later on. But yeah, Velma and Hot Dog Water, it's a thing. It's a thing. I'm on Scoobypedia right now. Marcy Fleech, better known as Hot Dog Water, is a friend and former rival of Velma Dinkley. Her cruel nickname comes from smelling like recycled water used to cook hot dogs. Huh. Yeah. 
They're a thing. They, they're literally enemies to lovers. Wow. Wow. I'm, I'm enthralled. I'll have to be, uh, <laughs> I'll have to, you know, read, read further into the hot dog water lore later on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. I was going to, I feel like we've almost covered it already, actually, because we have a segment on our show called could have been gayer. If a movie is not explicitly queer, we just introduce sort of like fan and queer elements into it. But I feel like we've got Shaggy as a he, him lesbian, We've got, uh, we've got lesbian Simone and bisexual Lena, and then we've got, uh, Velma, who just simply has not yet met her enemies to lovers, uh, <laughs> arc in hot dog water. The resplendent yeah, so, hot dog water. So we, it, it could be gayer. We, mm-hmm. we have different ways of making it gayer. Like, Simone and Lena could have been in an outright relationship. Like, that's... Honestly, that's got some pretty good power dynamics. Like, the master of the house and the cook. Like, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Couple of cat girls. Get it, girl. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're... <laughs> we're doing... We're making it gayer by taking the stance of every single, like, incel out there. Be like, oh, the cat girls should make out. The cat girls should make out. Whoa. Our, our mean, take on this movie was the exact same as, like, some fedora-wearing, like, neck-bearded dude who was like, why didn't the cat girls kiss? That's Wait, that. are you making fun of my neck beard? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I need to shave. Oh, no. I'm no, I'm making fun beard. of your fedora. Your trademark fedora that you're always wearing. That's the worst decision. Ah, uh, yes. It has pinstripes on it. Yeah. Oh, it's a fancy fedora. I think I fucking did have a fedora like that once upon a time. Oh, God. Oh, we, we both did, my friend. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so uh, an even more controversial question and I, I I love this question. Does Shaggy own Scooby? Here's my take. Shaggy thinks so. Scooby does not think so. I think Scooby owns Shaggy. <laughs> Scooby owns that ass. <laughs> yeah, like he totally does. He he eats food right out of Shaggy's hand. Like, <laughs> he really it, does. It, it's not like. Yeah, it's not like Shaggy's, like, offering the food to him. Scooby just no. takes what he wants. Like, for example, at one point they are both in New Orleans enjoying a po' boy sandwich that's cut in half, and Sh- Scooby eats his half of the sandwich, and then Shaggy goes to eat his, but Scooby vacuums up all the fillings out of it, and Shaggy just gets the bread. But he doesn't even really notice. So, yeah, Scooby's pretty... He's actually kind of mean to Shaggy throughout. Oh, he is. He's yeah. so mean. Like, he doesn't give a shit. Like... Shaggy, like, eats a biscuit off a plate, offers the plate of biscuits to Scooby, and is like, oh, here, have a biscuit. Scooby eats every single biscuit, literally vacuums them up, and Shaggy's like, huh, I think you're getting the better end of the deal here. I I guess it's actually a nice kind of flip on the script of, like, you know, who's supposed to own who, like... Well, it's it's kind of transgressive. The reason I was saying Scooby doesn't think so is because, like, at any point that Scooby is claimed to be a dog by someone else, it's like, oh, you've brought your dog. Scooby's classic gag is like, dog? Where? So, oh my god, they do that, like, four times in the movie. Yeah, yeah dog, so where? I don't think Scooby knows he's a dog. Um, so in uh, that case, he yeah. doesn't know that he's owned by Shaggy. So I would say 
they kind of just it's sort of like okay this is niche this is very canadian and very niche but there's this like trade agreement where like there are passages in between islands of uh, nunavut which is a territory of canada for those of you who don't know and like basically other countries like russia and finland and stuff they like to send their boats through there because it's just a faster way to get around and Mm -hmm. canada maintains that that is our uh that is our route right like that is our like that channel that is canadian water you can't go through there without our approval whereas other countries think no that is international waters we can go through there all we want and so that we don't have to like spend time and money and energy and whatever holding that up in international court, we just say that every other country can use our our channels to go through. So the government of Canada is just like, no, you're you're fine. Go ahead, use our channel. That's fine. And then everyone else is like, it's not your channel, and we will continue to use it. And we're like, that's you're graciously, we are allowing you to use our channel. Um, I think that is sort of the situation that Shaggy and Scooby has where they just sort of like are in fundamental disagreement about the legalities of the situation, but they just sort of both ignore it so that they can go along to get along. That is beautiful. Because neither of them wants to go to court. That would be a very upsetting straight to TV movie. (laughs) Shaggy and Scooby go to divorce court. (laughs) That could make a great fan fiction. (laughs) All right, I have a question for you. Which member of the gang are you most like? And is this the same as your favorite member? Ooh, that's a good question. I think I'm, I think I'm most like, I'm, I'm going to go with Shaggy because I, I also have a dog and (laughs) he is definitely like who, who owns who is definitely like, (laughs) yeah. Um, I, I also have a scraggly face and uh, I I'm obsessed with eating food. Like right. I I love when Shaggy he's like yeah Scoob and I have toured the world with our stomachs. Like I I definitely vibe with that of like I love mm. food and like my dad like literally this is the first time my dad has like complimented me really. He was like wow you'll eat anything. Like you never complain about whatever food I make or like bring home or whatever. You'll, you'll just eat it and be happy. And I'm like, yep. Oh yeah. I'm not a picky eater. I, I love food in general. Like some definitely shaggy vibes from you. Yeah. But like definitely shaggy vibes. But I think, I think my favorite member is Fred actually. Oh yeah. Like I, there's, there's this, like sometimes he just pulls these faces and just like, yeah is like what the fuck guys or just like disgusted or something and i'm like you know what fred and like in in the movie he like tries on his ascot at one point and is like yes nah and i'm like (laughs) yes fred you're a fashion icon and he lives by the coco chanel rule i'm I'm pretty sure it's coco chanel where like before leaving the house remove one accessory yeah yep (laughs) and fred lives by it he's a fashion king and like in there's like one one of the series uh about the Scooby Gang and he's just obsessed with traps. Like all Fred thinks about is traps in that movie and I'm like <laughs> or in that show. And I'm like, Yes, Fred, you're a trap man. He lives in the trap house. What what yeah. What what about you, Jake? So I'm gonna be boring and agree with you. My favorite member is probably also Fred. 
Um, really? He's, he's a little cinnamon roll. I gotta say, there's something really wonderful about a jock who is not an asshole. Um, yeah. Like, I love Fred. I love Steve Harrington. Um, and that's it. That's all the people in the world I love. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Steve Harrington. Time. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Harrington <laughs> from Stranger Things, if, if, uh, if y'all don't know. Um, but yeah, like, no, I, I love a, a jock who is not an asshole, who is a gentleman. If I may, like, lean on the, the old, like, chivalry terms of, like, this dude is going to yeah. stick up for his gang. He's not going to let any harm come to them. And I'm down for that. I like him. I like his ascot. Uh, other people clown on him for the ascot, but I really like it. Um, Love it. And you know what? Like, at the risk of kicking up controversy, my least favorite member of the gang is Scooby-Doo. Like, he's kind of just, wow. he's kind of just entitled. He kind of just fucks everything up for everyone. He steals Shaggy's he's a bit food. of a jerk. He's, like, mean to these cats throughout the whole movie, which is, like, severely, like, uh, you know, antithetical to the gang's goals. So, yeah. I think, this is also the first Scooby-Doo production where he shows aggression to other animals. That's something that he had never done before the Warner Brothers era of Scooby-Doo. Um, true previously that. to this, he had been friendly with cats. So this is like the beginning of a dark path for Scooby-Doo. Um, so, I mean, he's, yeah. And I would say the member of the gang that I'm the most like is probably Scrappy-Doo. Um, he is short. He has a high-pitched voice. No one really wants him around or to hear from him. So that's, <laughs> that's where my soul sort of lies. That's where I see myself. <laughs> Wow, you're so self-deprecating, Jake. I, I was actually thinking Daphne for you. Oh, that's like, an honor. Uh, yeah, like, you know, Daphne is, like, doing journalism, you know, in this and, like, on TV. And that, like, actually reminds me of, like, your YouTube, like, videos and stuff. Like, okay. very much explaining, you know, you've got the same kind of perspective, like, that agnostic perspective of, mm. like, chasing for curiosity. Like, you... you you do kind of give me Daphne vibes. You know what? I'll change my answer to Daphne in the in in the spirit of self-care. Hey, everyone, if you're out there and you're self-deprecating yourself, just think I'm not a scrappy. I'm a Daphne, just like Jake. I want exactly. I want you to take my example in this. No one, listen here. I want you to, listeners, I want you to know we care about you very much, and I want you to take these words for heart to heart. No one is a scrappy-do in this world, okay? You do not deserve to yeah. think of yourself as a scrappy-do. No one is as grating and truly just, a, like, agitating to the eyes and ears as scrappy-do, except for Elon Musk. Um, <laughs> this podcast's number one enemy is the scrappy-do of the world. Everyone else is someone else in the game. I... Beautiful. And and Jake, on that note, yeah. um, where we think you're the best. What <laughs> Agreed. what what's what's our next movie? What what are we doing next? I'm excited. So this one is one I have not seen before, and I was the one who uh pitched for this, but we are watching Nosferatu from 1922. Um this yeah. is like the OG vampire movie. This is a 1922 silent German expressionist horror film and unauthorized adaptation of Bram Stoker's 1987 novel Dracula. 
Uh, it is our oldest movie to date. It turned 100 in March of this year. So I guess big 100th anniversary watch party for Nosferatu. Um, it's like I said, it's a silent movie. So it's got those like title cards in between. I believe you can find some that have like a score that people have added in after the fact. Um, but the original product, the original product is with no score whatsoever. So, I mean, whatever you want to do, whether you want to watch it with music or without, it might be a little bit more compelling with music. Um, and it is truly available everywhere. It is on YouTube. There are like several different uploads of it on YouTube. So you can watch that if you want to. It's even on Wikipedia. If you go to the Wikipedia page for Nosferatu, like one of the linked media things is literally just the hour and 24 minute long video of Nosferatu. So really, yeah, watch this however you want. Um, probably the most accessible movie we've, we've watched on here as well. Um, yeah. And yeah, I'm excited. It's like one of the more like influential horror movies of all time because it's so early in film history, right? Like a lot of yeah. movies have come after it. Um, uh, Roger Ebert had like a review of it where he was basically saying it's not scary by modern standards because so many movies that came after it had so many more innovations and, and learned how to use techniques a little bit more effectively. But it is like, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's one of the movies of its time. It always makes like the top 100 movies of all time on every list I've ever seen. So um, I'm, I'm excited to get into it. I've never seen it before. Yeah, me neither. I'm pretty excited because, like, I, uh, here, I'll, I'll fly my nerd flag briefly. Like, I was part of a vampire LARP for a few years there. And, like, I mean, Nosferatu is one of the, like, types of vampires. And, like, uh, okay. It's, it's a pretty epic film, I guess, that, like, I like we we wouldn't have twilight today if it weren't for nosferatu you know that's very true well and it's also like one of the things that uh i believe it was roger ebert that said it in his review like this is from this is a low budget movie from 1922 germany so like it is made by people who genuinely believe in vampires. Like who, who oh. I, I believe the director, and if I'm wrong about this, we'll correct this in the next episode, but the director says that he like met people during the war who were like, oh yeah, my, my ancestors were of the undead or whatever. So like there are people who what? genuinely believed in this at this time. And so it'll be, it'll be interesting to get into. This is also, you know, Germany between the two world wars. So I think there'll yeah. be some themes to explore. And, and we know vampires almost always represent like sort of outcasts from society. So it'll be very interesting to sort of like look at those themes and, and how things add up. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited to sort of chop this up with you. Yeah, this is going to be a fun one. And All right, I then. think, I don't know. I think, do you have anything yeah. else you want to say before the episode ends? Nope, just you're the best. And I think you're Daphne. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, don't forget to check us out on Instagram and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Um, we'll be, you know, posting all kinds of content and things on, on the old Instagram over there. So you can, you know, uh, send us your takes about this week's movie, about next week's movie, about past movies. And, uh, you know, we'd love to hear from you. So, you know, stay frosty, everybody. Don't let the vampires bite and look out for cat girls. If you meet any suspiciously, you know, 
it's suspiciously chaotic bisexual southern women, um, just know that you might be in danger of encountering a cat girl. Yes, beware cat girl encounters. <laughs> All right, take care, everybody. Bye.